That song pretty well sums why we need to not be anxious for anything. We can just recognize and realize and really take to heart the words of that song that we've sung when the storm passes by. Now keep me in the hollow of your hand, God. Let me always know of your love for me. The thought that is expressed throughout the scriptures, we look in Jeremiah, the 17th chapter, and verses 7 through 10. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, for whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding its fruit, from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Blessed is the man who puts his trust in the Lord. The challenge is keeping that trust in him, despite what may come our way as we live our lives day by day. Paul, in writing to the Philippians, in that fourth chapter, Verse 4 and following. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You would think if anyone had reason to be anxious, it could have been Paul. His beloved friends at Philippi, We're disagreeing with one another. Go back to the first three verses of Philippians 4. Needed to be encouraged to get along with each other. There were preachers in Rome who were filled with envy and strife. And really out to get Paul. Go back to chapter 1 of Philippians and verses 15 and 16. And you can see that. Paul himself was under house arrest, awaiting trial and possible execution. 
He reminds us in 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8, that he's fought his fight, he's kept his faith, he's finished his course, and there's no, he knows that there's laid up for him that crown of righteousness. It's in fighting that fight, it's in keeping that faith, it's in finishing his course. And it all stems from that concept of being free from anxiety, the concept of being able to rejoice in the Lord always. Till the storm passes by, take time to reread those words. It's a life we live, troubles we encounter. And we're longing for a time when that storm has really ceased. And that's not really here. That's at the end of our life as we move into eternity. But as you read Philippians and 2 Timothy, as you read about the life of Paul, you find his answer to overcoming anxiety within our life. And he does share that with us. And everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You let those requests be made known to God. But you spend that time in prayer to God. You fill that heart with thanksgiving. For what he has given to you. And what could be that has not come. You petition him with thanksgiving. And you let that peace of God. Rule in your heart and guard your mind. When you can let that peace of God. Which passes understanding. There's no way to comprehend it. We live in a life that is full, full of turmoil. Ups and downs and. Victories and defeats and defeats and defeats and defeats and maybe a victory. At least that's how it appears to us from time to time. But if I'm really petitioning God, trying to rejoice in the Lord with all that takes place, because why? He holds me in the hollow of his hand. He has me. And if he has me in the hollow of his hand, the storm doesn't matter. The storm, regardless of what it is, the storm, regardless of how long it lasts, is still only temporary. Even if it lasts a lifetime, it's only temporary. Because when we fought that fight and kept that faith and we finished that course, we do know that there is laid up for us that crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the Lord, the righteous judge, has promised to those that love him. To keep that trust in him in the life that we live. The word anxious comes from a word that means to be pulled in a different direction. The hope that we have pulls us towards God. 
the fears that we have pull us in the opposite direction. And thus anxious is to be pulled apart. I know where I need to be. I know what I'm looking at, physical eyes. And I forget I'm in the hollow of God's hand. And I let the fear and the anxiety take hold of me. We've all lived life long enough physically to have seen us through trials of one sort or another, regardless of the age that we may be, from the youngest one on up. There's been things that we've gone through that were difficult, or it seemed like it at the time. But then life goes on. And those fears are surrendered to other fears that come along the way. And we tend to forget. When I was in high school and had to give an oral book report, fear gripped me. And I was one who would soon take the F and did than to give an oral book report in front of the class. That's not the same fear I face today. They all change. I mean, they're temporary. They last for a moment. They may seem like they're lasting forever, but they last for a moment. And it's that song that is there to help us till the storm passes by. It's the scriptures that are there to help us, to remind us, as we look briefly in in Jeremiah, as we're looking in in Philippians, catching that glimpse of what God is able to do for us. The word worry has, we worry about a lot of things, and that has the meaning of really to, to strangle. And that's what happens, isn't it? When we get worried about something, it just sort of strangles us. We feel handicapped. We feel closed in and do not know which way to go or to turn. That's why that book of Philippians is such a powerful little book. It's why that book called the Bible is such a powerful book. It starts in the very beginning in Genesis. One demonstrating the power of God. And two demonstrating the weakness of mankind. And how quickly we forget by whom we were created. Quickly we forget at times to whom we serve. And quickly forget at times who it is that judges and rewards his people. Ours is to do what we do in the physical life at any given point in time. Ours is to trust. Whatever it is that we're going to do, we, we trust. Sometimes it does not work out the way that we thought, but oftentimes we need to be reminded that's what we thought. And it may not be the way that God has chosen to help us to learn another lesson.
All the lessons we learn are not for this forgiven time frame, but may, may be for later on. And it may not always be for us, but it may be for someone else who helped to help them out along the way. From a spiritual perspective, anxiety is wrong thinking and wrong feeling about circumstances, about people, and about things. The anxiety, wrong thinking. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he lives. One is the Bible tells me so, and the song says, I know he lives within my heart. But I serve a risen Savior. Keep me in the hollow of your hand. All the songs that we sing to give us strength, to encourage us, not to allow the anxiety to take hold and have the wrong thinking and the wrong feelings about what's going on. It is said that anxiety is the greatest thief, theft, thief of, of joy. It's a thief. It steals your joy. You have hope in God. You have promises that he's given to us. He's given you the spirit. He's given you his word. He's given you spiritual family. He's given you everything that you need in abundance. He's able to exceedingly abound in what he does, far beyond what we think or imagine. Ephesians 3 and verse 20. We need to be reminded of that. As we face those trials, it is again... It's not so much looking from side to side, looking in front or back, but it's also looking up to see, it is, to see who it is that we serve. He steals our joy. And anxiety is an inside job. You are allowing it to be stolen. It comes from inside. We sing the song, Where Do We Have the Joy? Deep down in my heart, I have the joy, joy, joy deep down in my heart. And I become anxious. I'm allowing that joy to be stolen. I give in. And I'm giving the scriptures to remind us, to remind me that I do not need to give in. How we can overcome anxiety with the right kind of prayer. What is the right kind of prayer? Pray about everything. Isn't that what we sing in a song? Take it to the Lord in prayer. That's the right kind of praying is to take everything to the Lord in prayer. Sometimes we want to wait till the big things happen and we forget 
How do the big things get to be big things? Because we did not take care of them when they were little things. And they just sort of build up. But there's nothing that we cannot take to the Lord in prayer. However, however trivial it may seem to us, it's not to God. One of the beauty, the beauties of this fatherhood of God. Not only understanding him to be the creator. Not only understanding him to be the one who sent his only begotten son. Not only the one who is all powerful. Who holds this world together until he speaks and it will be gone. But he is father. And as a child, we have that right and that privilege to take everything to the Father in prayer and not to worry about anything. Such a contrast. And again, it's been said many times, oftentimes we worry about things that never come to pass. We worry about situations, confrontations, discussions, whatever it may be, and they never happen the way that we worried that they might go. But again, that petitioning God, just the vocalization, be it in your mind, but be it that vocalization could be oral as well, of just knowing that as you voice it, God is listening. And to know that as he listens, he cares. And knowing that as he cares, he works. He's already working. The fact that you petition him is an indication that you believe he is working. But he's already working. And sometimes it is that answer of, it's working. Sometimes there's a lesson in there that we need. Oftentimes it's called patience. Oftentimes it's called trust. Trust me, God says. Lean not on your own understanding, but trust God. Trust him. That he cares and that he is working things out in his life. With prayer and supplication. Petitioning him. The little things. Let him know of it as well. He already knows, but it's our petitioning letting him know. Through our communication with him. And then to read of his communication to us through the word that he's given to us. But it has the concept of well as adoration, devotion, worshiping, recognizing what a privilege it is to have what we have this evening. What a privilege it is to have what we have now even when we go home.
And as tomorrow comes, what a blessing that is. What an enrichment it gives. Be anxious for nothing, Paul says. And again, if you look at his life, read some of his scriptures that he talks about his life, the things that he went through, the things that he endured, the shipwrecks, the beatings, imprisonments, the cold, the hunger, in danger of countrymen throughout his life. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Again, there's no way to imagine it because it is another impossibility. The thanksgiving part is our being mindful of how grateful we are for who God is. And for how much he cares for us. And again, there is no way that we could ever comprehend or even really think about a life without God. Because we live in a world that God has created. There is no escaping that God is. And since he is and since he cares, there's no way for us, as you read the scriptures, remind you that over and over again, God works in ways that we don't fully understand. He works in time frames that we do not comprehend. The patience of God from before creation, planning man's redemption, and all that time from the human perspective, all that time it took for him to bring about the Christ. And all the things that he prepared, all the things he prophesied, and all the things that had to work together for that to take place. And then do we think that he's not caring for us? That he's still not involved in laying groundwork for what will take place? However, this world, however long this world shall be, that what we do is going to have an impact on other generations down the road if the Lord allows the world to stand that long. And so we again serve this risen Savior, keeping our prayers unto him at all times. We're reminded in Matthew 6 in what we call the model prayer. It's not the fact that we're speaking constant or many words in Matthew 6, 7, and 8. Some of those of Jesus' day thought they'd be heard for the many words. They're vain repetitions. But he says you pray to your heavenly Father. And you believe he hears you. Jesus says, you ask in his name, since he's the mediator between us and the Father. We ask if it be in accordance with his will. And sometimes we've already concluded what we think his will should be. And as the church of old found out, as Israel of old found out, as God's people down through time have found out all the way back to the beginning again. God's plan and God's will is totally different than ours. And I need to be assured that he indeed cares for us. Jesus says you need to ask. 
You don't have because you haven't asked. You need to seek before you can find. And you need to knock before it's opened up unto you. But the ask, the seek, and the knock spell what? Ask. You have to ask. And you have to be willing to seek. What is his will? What is it that the Lord would have me to do? Is it care, does he care about the, a particular job that I have? A particular job that I'm looking for? A particular place to live? A particular car to drive? Wherever else it may be that we're involved in and thinking about that may be weighing on our mind? We're seeking. What are we seeking? Seeking his will. His will is that I trust him. That I do not lean on my own understanding, but I lean on the Lord. My seeking is to realize that it's his work being done in his way, in his time. And to know that each step I take, and that not another song, each step that I take, he goes with me. He's with me. His will has been worked out. Life is being changed. Again, it's hard to go back. Once you make your decisions, and that domino effect enters into it, you make that decision, there's no going back and trying to change that first domino. Well, let me go back, back it up. You know, we like to do that once in a while. Let me back it up to the front, and I'll start again. You've already made decisions. There's already consequences that are unfolding. You can make changes, yes, but you cannot undo what's already been done. There is forgiveness when we sin, yes. But there's no undoing that. And sometimes there are consequences that follow that, even though forgiveness is granted. And remember by God no more, but there's so physical consequences that may indeed follow along the way. When we pray and petition God and rejoice in the Lord always, we're striving to build a fortress with God that will guard your heart and your mind. The two most important parts of your life, they affect your soul. What do you think about? And where is your heart? The seat of your emotion. Where is it? What seeks your attention? Where is your focus? If we're doing what Paul is saying there in Philippians 4, 4 through 6. And we're remembering the end results in verses 7 and 8. It helps us to build a life that will help us to fight against Satan. 
There is no irresistible force for good or for evil. There is no Flip Wilson in The Devil Made Me Do It. And there is no God Made Me Do It. It's that individual choice. But when I'm petitioning God for everything, when I'm asking Him to guard my heart and my mind, I'm striving to do the things that would be right and acceptable. And I want to resist the things that are evil. The Bible reminds me, if I resist the devil, he'll flee. The meaning will not come back, but he will flee. He will leave. That's what we need. The victory is there. It's with Jesus. Well, that's the choice that we have to make. Jesus is tenderly calling. It's a beautiful song. But you have to be listening that as he calls. They mentioned about thought, I think about from time to time when I think about be listening to the voice of Jesus, be listening for my name. The missionaries I know over in Africa, the mother was calling the son to come in to do something and he wasn't responding, young son, and so she went out looking for him, find him out in the, in the garden somewhere. When she came up closer to him, she heard him singing, I'll be somewhere listening for my name. But he wasn't hearing his name being called. Is that our life? Are we saying I'll be somewhere listening for my name? But are we hearing the voice that is calling? And are we responding to that voice? Jesus is tenderly calling for one to become a child of God, for one to renew that life in Christ Jesus again. If you have that need, if we could assist you, if we can help you in that decision, indeed we bid you to come as together. We stand and sing.